0: Hey BSN listeners, really excited to tell you guys about some game-changing coffee. Of course, I'm talking about Strava Craft Coffee, the CBD-enriched coffee that has really changed lives. Their reviews are incredible, so make sure you check them out. This CBD-infused coffee has taken away long-term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS. It has helped decrease anxiety. Really, you name it. CBD is also all-natural, not psychoactive. The coffee is just flat-out rich and tasty, and we couldn't recommend it anymore to our listeners. I've had Strava Craft Coffee, been drinking it for the past year or so, I would highly recommend it as well. Check it out for yourself today and you guys can receive 20% off when you use the code BSN2019 at checkout and you'll get it shipped straight to your door. What's going on guys? Welcome into a brand new edition of the BSN Nuggets podcast. On a Monday, Harrison Wind here. We are presented by Total Beverage where you can get 30% off your purchase of $25 or more by using the code BSN2019. You can do that online or on the Total Beverage app. And remember, Total Beverage delivers to most of the metro area and now has CBD products as well. So make sure to hit those guys up if you're trying to get liquor, wine, beer, spirits, or CBD products this week. Here's what we got on today's show. I asked for some questions from you guys on Twitter earlier today. Also had some come into my inbox, wind at bsndenver.com over the weekend. Also had one of you guys leave a question on Denver.com where... One of our shows lived last week. Again, if you guys are subscribed to BS in Denver, and if you're not, well, you're really missing out. There's been a lot of great content that we've put out this summer already, and a lot more coming with the season just around the corner. But hit up bsndenver.com backslash subscribe, and we're still running our Broncos and Buff sales right now, so you can get 60% off if you enter the code BRONCOSCAMP, all one word, all capitals, or BuffsCAMP, all one word, all capitals. And you can get a BSN Denver subscription for just $2.91 a month. So uh, get on that. But if you do leave a question in the comment section on one of our stories or where this podcast will live on bsndenver.com once it gets posted here on Monday, I'll get to your question right off the bat. I'll get to your question before the first break. The rest of them, I'll get to those later. But we want to treat our subscribers well here at BSN Denver. So I'll get to that question uh, that came in from Ben shortly. Where I want to start off today's show and where I'll probably start off several shows and a lot of shows over the rest of the summer as we get into the FIBA World Cup, which begins August 31st, but I'll call this a quick FIBA World Cup minute. It's going to be a little longer than a minute, but I just want to give you guys a rundown on any action that might have taken place and, of course, action that has to do with the Nuggets. Serbia has been in action in a bunch of different exhibition games. The U.S. in action as well. Uh, so here's what went down this weekend. Since I last spoke to you guys on Friday, but the U.S. played Spain in an exhibition game that was in Anaheim. Of course, this game featured Juancho Gomez, who's playing for Spain this summer, and Mason Plumley, who is currently playing for the U.S. team. They have not made their final cut yet. They took 13 guys to Australia. Team USA did, where they're playing two exhibition games, and they've got to cut that roster down to 12 before the World Cup starts on August 31st. So they still have one more cut to make. Darren Fox dropping out over the weekend, which seemed really odd to me because all the reporting that was coming out of Team USA training camp and the early couple scrimmages, he was one of the standouts. But he drops out over the weekend, meaning Mason Plumlee, I think, has a really good shot to make this team. Uh, but anyways, in that scrimmage, U.S. beats Spain 90-81, to 81. Mason Plumley actually started the first half, played 14 total minutes, didn't score, had two rebounds and assists. a steal was a plus two in 14 minutes of playing time. He came off the bench in the second half. Miles Turner started, who ended up playing a f- little over 15 minutes, so just a bit more than Plumley. He finished with eight points, three rebounds, and two blocks. He was a plus two in his 15 minutes. The third center on Team USA's roster right now, Brook Lopez. He only played nine and a half minutes, eight points, two rebounds, and two blocks as well. On Spain's side of things, Wancho started for Spain at small forward like he's been doing for most of these exhibition games. Wound up playing 20 minutes. A quiet game, four points, a rebound, two steals, two blocks. Had a couple nice plays. Had a pretty nice Steal at half court, picked off a pretty lazy Kemba Walker pass in the first couple minutes of this game, turned it into a layup on the other end. I had a nice block. He had a couple standout moments. I'd say was a plus four total in 20 minutes, but nothing like spectacular coming from Wancho in this game. But we'll be sure to monitor him throughout the rest of these exhibitions, and then obviously in the FIBA World Cup, we'll be you know tracking his performance pretty closely. But going to the U.S. side of things. I think it was notable that Mason Plumlee certainly started in this game, and I think it's a pretty encouraging sign that he has an inside track to get a roster spot. The U.S. still needs to cut one name from the current pool of 13 players that they've got, and just to list off the 13 that are still in the running, Harrison Barnes, Kemba Walker, Mason Plumlee, Donovan Mitchell, Chris Middleton, Kyle Kuzma, Miles Turner, Jason Tatum, Joe Harris, De'Aaron Fox, Jalen Brown, Brooke Lopez, Derek White, and Marcus Smart. Seems like there are some locks developing. Certainly, Harrison Barnes seems like a lock. Not entirely sure why, but he's been starting. You know, it seems like he's a Team USA favorite. Kemba Walker a lock. Donvin Mitchell a lock. Chris Middleton a lock. I would think Miles Turner would be a lock, along with Jason Tatum. I thought De'Aaron Aaron Fox was a lock, but doesn't seem to be. I would say J- Jalen Brown's a lock, and Derek White and Marcus Smart both seem to be on this team. So. In my opinion, that last spot probably comes down to either Mason Plumley, Kyle Kuzma, Joe Harris, or Brooke Lopez. And if I'm Team USA, I know I'm going to be going against some really strong centers in this thing. And if you missed it on two shows last week, two-part podcast, I ranked my top 20 players at the FIBA World Cup, along with BSN Denver's Andre Simone. We did it on Thursday and Friday. So check that out if you haven't. That was a fun show to record. But my second and third best players at the FIBA World Cup are centers. I ranked Nikola Jokic as my second best player at the World Cup and Rudy Gobert as my third. And the first best player at the World Cup, Giannis, you know, you could see a couple different big men from Team USA guarding him, right? Like I could see maybe Mason Plumlee guarding him at times or Miles Turner. The US doesn't really have a ton of bias to throw at him if that was going to be a matchup. But anyways. Because of the really good centers and really good just I'll call them power combo forwards that Team USA could be going up against, I'd probably keep all three of those centers. And I would keep Mason Plumley, Miles Turner, and Brooke Lopez and probably cut, you know, a Kyle Kuzma. I, I would keep all three of those big men, just so you have some insurance at the end of your bench if, you know, you get into foul trouble or whatnot. Because that's an adjustment for some of these US players. FIBA only allows five personal fouls before you are disqualified. You don't get six like you do in the NBA. So I think Mason Plumlee has a good chance at making this final roster. We'll obviously wait and see when that final cut happens, but he's got good Team USA pedigree, was on the 2014 gold medal team under Coach K. Obviously, Greg Popovich is coaching now, but he's still got that pedigree. And just with the personnel and just with the really good centers that are in this tournament, Marcus Gasol is in this thing, of course, as well with Team Spain. I'd keep all three of them on my roster if I'm Greg Popovich and Jerry Colangelo who are putting together this thing. Also, Serbia was in action this weekend. They've been competing in the Acropolis Tournament in Greece. been trying to keep you guys updated on Twitter, and I mentioned it on the podcast last week a couple times, but what it was a four-team tournament over three days in Greece featuring Serbia, Italy, Turkey, and of course, Greece. Round-robin style, so each team plays each other, and the winner is pretty much crowned after three days of competition, and the gold medal goes to whoever has the best record. Well, Serbia went undefeated in this thing. They handled Italy really easily, who did not look very impressive, although Daniil Gallinari did not play in that game. They handled Chetty Osman and on Korkmaz and Turkey, very easily as well. And that kind of set the stage for a big showdown on Sunday featuring Nikola Jokic and Giannis Antetokounmpo in Greece who both came into that final matchup on the final day of competition after those first two days, 2 and 0. So I'd say there was a decent amount of anticipation for this matchup, but Nikol Jokic did not play in this one. It didn't even look like he was at the arena. I think he was back home. A bunch of people were tweeting at me that there was a big horse race in Serbia that he might have needed to get back for. I don't know how accurate that is, but I had that theory uh, thrown out at me a bit. But anyways, it probably would have been a good idea to rest him in one of these games too. I mean, three games in three days. And I know the FIBA games are shorter than NBA games. They're only 10-minute quarters compared to 12-minute quarters. But still, playing three games in three days in the middle of the summer, I don't know. Maybe they should like space this tournament out a tad. Anyways, Jokic was not in action for this one. So Serbia... A little just down on their total firepower. So was Greece. They're missing a couple starters, I believe, as well. But Serbia still won. It was a fun game. Serbia overcame a really hostile crowd. There's like 18,000 people there, obviously, all rooting for Greece, or most of them rooting for Greece. Also, some tough hometown officiating. I don't know if any of you guys watched that one, but a couple questionable calls late in that fourth quarter uh, that went Greece's way and, and kind of hurt Serbia. But anyways, uh, Serbia won 85-80 in OT. It was a really fun game to watch. Bogdan Bogdanovic, Nemanja Belica, they did the heavy lifting for Serbia, and they were able to give them the win. So all in all, Serbia wins the Acropolis Tournament, a nice showing for them, and it should give them some nice momentum heading into the World Cup where I think they can really challenge Team USA for the gold. And I said this on a couple shows last week, but I would not be surprised at all if Team Serbia beats the U.S., You even saw it in that Team USA versus Spain scrimmage on Friday. But Team USA looks exactly like a team who was just created and they just started playing with each other a few weeks ago, which was exactly the case. A lot of these international teams, specifically the Serbian team, they look like they've been playing together for years. And there's obviously been more continuity on that national team compared to the US team, which has had a lot of turnover over the last couple of years with guys dropping out and whatnot. But still, Jokic didn't play with the Serbian team last summer or the summer before. The last time he played for Team Serbia was in 2016. They don't have Milos Tiedosic, uh, one of their top point guards, probably their top lead ball handler. They've got some new pieces as well, but just how they come together and how they come together versus Team USA, it just seems like Serbia just has a much better chemistry and it looks like they've been playing together for years when they really haven't. They've been together training around the same amount of time that Team USA has. So I would not be surprised if all if Serbia takes the gold at the FIFA World Cup. I think they will, but like if I'm a betting man, Team USA should still be the favorite. They've got more talent than everybody. They're deeper than everybody. No surprise there. Uh, but you now if I'm making a pick, I'm taking Team Serbia to win this thing. So there's my World Cup minute. It ran about 12 minutes long. Uh, but anyways, I'll be Keeping you guys up to date on the FIBA World Cup, all the exhibition matches that you need to know and need to hear about regarding Jokic and Wancho and Mason Plumley, what ultimately happens with that Team USA roster. And of course, what's happening when the actual tournament tips off, August 31st from China. All right, I got a bunch of questions lined up for you guys, but we do have to take a break. Before we do, though, I want to get in a question from Ben. BSN Denver subscriber who left his question on the last podcast on BS Denver.com last week. Appreciate that, Ben. And as you guys know, I said it earlier, if you are a BSN Denver subscriber and leave a question on where this post will live, where this podcast will live on bsndenver.com in the comment section that's only open to subscribers, I will read it and shout you out before the first break. But Ben in Salt Lake City in jazz country, he writes... Not sure if you saw the Porzingis photo, but he's looking jacked. Do you ever wish Jokic would spend an offseason getting shredded in the gym? It's clear he doesn't need to, but I got to imagine it would only improve his game. No? Interesting question, Ben. I did just look up that photo of Porzingis lifting. He he does look jacked. He definitely does. If you were to ask me this question last summer or maybe even the summer before, I would have said yeah, but after what Jokic did last season with how his body looked really over the last you know several months of the year? I would say no. I don't need Jokic to get jacked. Would it improve some aspects of his game? I'm not ready to say it would because what he did last year in the playoffs, looking like he did, he didn't look tired. He didn't look phased. Remember when he played 60 minutes in that quadruple overtime game in Portland? It was almost as if he had the most energy out of anybody on that floor when the final buzzer sounded. So, would I like to see him get absolutely ripped over the summer? I'm going to say no. I don't really need to see that. Jokic is already so strong. People don't understand how strong this guy is. He can literally back down every NBA player in the post and pretty much plant them under the basket. Steven Adams, DeMarcus Cousins, unfortunate news over the weekend about DeMarcus Cousins though, suffering that ACL tear. Hate to see that from him name a big man and Jokic can back that guy down. Sure, added strength would help. Maybe his fitness level would go up as well. But I never really got the impression that Jokic's fatigue was necessarily getting to him more than it gets to other guys. Maybe a couple times during the regular season. But when the lights are bright in the postseason, he was fine. He was fine in that quadruple overtime game. He was fine in both game sevens. And no no one would ever say he was like jacked or ripped. And I don't think it's something that he really wants to do either. Whatever he's been doing in the summers to come back and have the last couple seasons that he's put together, just keep doing that. I don't think Jokic needs to totally transform and change his off-season workout to get ripped and jacked just because he could post a couple cool photos of it on Instagram, which he doesn't even have. So yeah, you want him to stay in shape. You don't want him to come into camp next year 30, 40 pounds overweight. Like he's got to be in shape and he will be uh, based on what he did last summer and how he looked when he arrived back here for training camp last fall. But to say, you know, he needs to get on this really aggressive weightlifting plan and look like Mr. Olympia, I don't think he needs to do that. Like, I don't think that would really enhance his game that much. He's already trending towards potentially being a top five player in the league next year. And I think he can really get to that status and get to that level coming back as the same player and looking like the same guy he was last year. So I don't think it's something that he, he really needs to focus on per se. He Can't be overweight, you know, coming to camp. He's got to be in good shape. But as long as he was in the shape he was last year, he was fine in the playoffs. He was great in the playoffs. he never looked tired in the playoffs. So my advice to Nikola Jokic and the Nuggets would be for him to keep doing what he's been doing. Before I get to some other questions time to take a second to acknowledge Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of BSN Denver. Breckenridge is the original Colorado beer established in 1990 in Breckenridge, Colorado. You've probably heard of their delicious vanilla porter, their oatmeal stout, and most people's personal favorite, the world-famous Avalanche, which is their classic American amber ale. But they just released a new beer called Strawberry Sky that you guys are going to love. For you beer enthusiasts out there, they are calling this a light-hearted coal shale. But for those of you who have no idea what that means... This is a light, delicious summer beer that you've been looking for. It's probably like 95 degrees out in Denver today. I could definitely go for a Strawberry Sky. You guys, look for Strawberry Sky at your local liquor store or any other Breckenridge beer. Make sure you also look out for the Breckenridge event calendar on bsndenver.com. You'll be able to see all the events that we have planned, and we'll be drinking Breck beers at all of them. So RSVP and have a good time. Also, before we move on to some more questions, as you guys may or may not know, taking care of your teeth is pretty important our friends at Green Mountain Dental Group are giving away a free Sonicare toothbrush. A free Sonicare toothbrush when you schedule a cleaning, x-ray, and exam. That's right. You simply have to take care of your teeth for Green Mountain Dental Group to hand over a free Sonicare. Check them out today online or call 303-988-0711 to schedule your appointment today. All right, back to some more questions. I want to remind you guys, if you do have questions for the show, and I'll be going over some more listener questions on Tuesday's show as well, a couple ways you can get them in. If you're a BSN Denver subscriber, leave the questions in the comment section of this podcast on bsndenver.com, which will go up Monday afternoon. I'll get to BSN Denver subscribers' questions in the first segment always. And then if you're not, hit me on Twitter at Harrison Wind or wind at bsndenver.com if you have a question that goes over 280 characters. So this one comes from Corey. What would need to happen for the Nuggets to win 60 games this season? Is that at all possible? You know, it's possible, Corey. It's definitely not likely. The only team to win 60 games in the league last year was the Milwaukee Bucks. The Nuggets, of course, won 54. The Warriors won 57. The Raptors won the second most in the league, 58. Uh, Before that, the Rockets got to 65 in 2017-18, and then in 2016-17, Warriors got the 67, Spurs 161, So it's definitely achievable. You've got to have a really special season to do it. I think the Nuggets can, you know, it's not likely, but I think it's certainly on the table. And there's, you know, a greater than you know, 5, 6, 7% chance that they get to 60 wins. But there are a lot of things that would need to happen. First, Nuggets have to get off to a really strong start. But the good thing is, there's reason to believe they can, and they should. This happened last year when Denver got off to a 9-1 start, and I've said it once, I've said it before, Denver's year-over-year continuity, their roster familiarity, the Nuggets didn't need to learn how to play with one another in training camp in the preseason and over the first couple weeks of the regular season, and it seems like teams don't really start clicking until around Christmas. Denver clicked way earlier than that because they are pretty much doing everything they did the year before. Now Denver has even more continuity heading into this coming season than they did last year. I believe the Nuggets are returning ninety-two percent of their minutes from last year. The only key guy that they really lost is Trey Lyles, who was really out of the rotation for a lot of the second half of the season. Other than that, Isaiah Thomas is gone, Tyler Lydon is gone. Also, the Nuggets two two-way players from last year, Brandon Goodwin, Thomas Welsh, are gone as well. But those guys, you know, never played any significant minutes. So because of that. And because of another soft opening to the schedule, where the Nuggets have 10 of their first 17 games at home, and 12 of the Nuggets' first 17 opponents actually missed the playoffs last year, they can get off to a hot start again. Let me read off the Nuggets' first 17 opponents for you guys. Portland, Phoenix, Sacramento, Dallas, New Orleans, Orlando, Miami, Philadelphia, Minnesota, Atlanta, Brooklyn, Memphis, Houston, Boston, Phoenix, Washington, Sacramento. Just in those first 17 games, you have Phoenix, who's probably going to finish towards the bottom of the West again. You have Sacramento, who will probably be feisty for about a month or so, but is just not close to the caliber of team that the Nuggets are. Dallas, a team who should be improved, but the Nuggets are clearly better than. New Orleans, who's getting a lot of hype, but I think is probably a little overrated right now. Orlando and Miami, two pretty middling teams in the Eastern Conference. Miami will be a little better than last year because of Jimmy Butler. Minnesota, who I don't think is going to touch the playoffs this year. Atlanta, who's not trying to even make the playoffs this year. Memphis, who could very well be the worst team in the West, will probably be the worst team in the West. Phoenix again. Washington, who could be the worst team in the league next season. And then Sacramento. You're playing a lot of bottom feeders in both the East and the Western Conference. So Not only does Denver need to get off to a really good start next year because their January is pretty tough. I think 10 of their 16 games are on the road in January. Their March is even tougher. 10 of the 16 are on the road again, but there's just like a murderer's row of road games that month. Denver needs to get off to a good start, and I think they will because of that schedule and because of that continuity. So that's number one. The second biggest factor that will probably determine if the Nuggets get the 60 wins next year is going to be health. Denver won 54 games last year, and it's pretty incredible that they won 54 because they had such unfortunate luck with their health. Gary Harris missed a ton of time. Will Barton missed a ton of time. Paul Millsap missed a ton of time. Guys are going to get banged and bruised, and you know they're going to have to navigate injuries throughout the entire season. Injuries happen. They just happen to every team. That's a fact. But Denver had a lot of injuries to really key guys last year, and I think they were a little unlucky with some of those injuries. So you're looking at what Denver did last year and getting to 54 wins. And if the Nuggets had had better health, you know I think they definitely have two, three, maybe four more wins. And so looking ahead to next season with how the schedule's looking and the continuity and the fact that you can probably say the Nuggets won't have as terrible of an injury luck as they did last year this coming season, I think a healthier roster throughout the entire year would definitely help Denver get the 60 wins. The health factor and how many games Denver had key guys miss last year, that makes me think there's a lot of room for improvement this coming season. And I've heard a lot of people say, yeah, maybe the Nuggets are going to be a better team, but win less games. I could see that. And it seems like that's been a pretty popular take. I don't agree with that though. I think they're going to win more games than they did last year. I'm not ready to make my final prediction for wins yet. That will come soon, but I kind of am a bit confused by the notion that they could be a better team and win less games. That could definitely be true, but I just think there's a lot of room for improvement just based on them getting 54 wins, but also doing that with how many injuries they had last year. So Corey, those would be the two biggest things in my mind that would have to happen for Denver to get the 60 wins. They get off to a really hot start, and I mean go 14-3 and three or something in those first 17 games, which I do think is very possible. And then also have just better health than they did last year. I think if both those things happen, 60 wins could be attainable. Next question comes from Josh in Connecticut. Should we expect Michael Porter Jr. in the starting lineup before the end of the season? I also believe Nikola Jokic will win league MVP and also win finals MVP. People say I sound crazy, but I believe it. What numbers would Jokic need to average in order to win MVP, though? I was thinking 23 points, 12 rebounds, eight assists. Let me get to the first part of your question first, Josh, then I'll get to Jokic and his MVP odds and finals MVP odds, what numbers he might have to put up to get MVP. Should we expect MPJ in the lineup, in the starting lineup before the end of the season? Should you expect it? No, definitely not. Could it happen? Sure, but Michael Porter Jr. hasn't played a game since February 2017 or January 2017. That was his last game at Missouri. So it's been a full year, almost two full years since Michael Porter Jr. has played an actual game. And I know the word from the Nuggets practice court has been that he's looked amazing. That's what I've been telling you guys all summer. And I believe he has looked really great at times behind closed doors, but things change when you're playing in an actual game. And I think it's going to take a while for him to get that rhythm and flow back to his game. And while I also think the Nuggets are going to give him an opportunity to earn minutes in their opening night rotation right away, and he could very well earn them. And he could be playing 10 minutes or so night to night to open the season. I I could see that happening. But I still think Denver's going to take it really slow with him, not give him too much too soon, and definitely not put him in the starting lineup before he's ready. So could that be before the end of the season? Yeah, I think it could. But I don't think you should expect to see him in the starting lineup before the end of the year. I think Denver's got two options right now, maybe three, probably three, in Will Barton, Tory Craig and Malik Beasley, who they feel more comfortable with starting at the three as opposed to Michael Porter Jr. right now. I need to see it before I believe it. That's kind of been my stance all along. I know everybody's saying he's been looking great, but look, I've just got to see it, you know, before I'm ready to anoint him the Nuggets starting small forward. Now, the second part of Josh's question, when it comes to Jokic and MVP, finals MVP, what numbers he would have to put up to win MVP in the regular season. I'm not going to like say I think Jokic will win finals MVP. Like That's just kind of going out there a little too far for a podcast on August 19th. Could he win regular season MVP? Definitely. Will he? I think there's a pretty good chance because I can definitely see Denver winning the West for a couple of the reasons I just laid out. The continuity factor, the schedule factor, the Paul George factor, who I read is going to miss the first six weeks of the year after shoulder surgery this summer. So the Clippers are definitely going to take a while to gel. So will the Lakers. So I think the Nuggets get off to a hot start. They could win the Western Conference. And if they win the Western Conference, I think Jokic will be a central candidate and a leading candidate for MVP. What numbers will you need to put up? Josh, he suggests that Jokic would have to put up 23 points, 12 rebounds, and 8 assists. After a quick basketball reference search, I can tell you that nobody in basketball references database has ever put up 23 points, 12 rebounds, and 8 assists. Russell Westbrook in 2016-17 put up 31.5 points, 11 rebounds, and almost 11 assists, 10.8 assists. And then in 2018-19, this past year, he put up 22.9 points, 11 rebounds, 10.7 assists. But nobody has ever put up those numbers Josh listed. And you know what? I don't even think Jokic needs to put up those numbers to win MVP. I think Nikola Jokic can have the same exact year he had last year and win MVP. The one caveat, the Nuggets need to win the West. If the Nuggets win the West and Jokic puts up the same numbers he did last year, 20 points, 11 rebounds, 7 assists per game, mark it down, he'll win MVP. Because team success sometimes takes precedent over individual numbers in this discussion, in the MVP discussion. And really, the reason why Jokic finished fourth last year was because the Nuggets were second in the West. If Denver was fourth or fifth in the West, Jokic is not finishing fourth, even though he put up absolutely eye-popping numbers. He's not finishing that high. The fact that the Nuggets finished second in the West really helped Jokic's MVP candidacy. And I'm telling you, if he puts up the same numbers next year and Denver wins the West, I think he's got a great shot and probably should be the favorite for MVP if Denver does, you know, take home the number one spot in the conference. So that's my response to that question from Josh. I appreciate it. I think Jokic can put up the same numbers next year and win MVP as long as Denver wins the West. I think there is a scenario where he could put up the same numbers and win MVP if Denver gets second in the West, but That's a little dicey. The Nuggets win the West. Jokic, if he puts up really strong numbers, he doesn't even have to probably put up as good numbers as he did last year. But if the Nuggets are the top seed in the West when voting happens at the end of the year, I think he should be the favorite for MVP. Before we get to a couple more questions, quick word from Strava Craft Coffee. Strava Craft Coffee is a game-changing coffee. You guys know this by now. It's the CBD-enriched coffee that has really changed lives. Their reviews are incredible, so make sure you check them out this CBD-infused coffee has taken away long-term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS. It's helped decrease anxiety. You name it. CBD is all natural and not psychoactive. The coffee is rich and tasty. We couldn't recommend it anymore to our listeners. Check it out for yourself today and receive 20% off when you use the code BSN2019 at checkout. You'll get shipped straight to your door. All right, let's get back to some more questions here. Willie on Twitter asked me, how was Paul's minicamp and who showed? The Nuggets had their annual, third annual Minicamp at Paul Millsap's Core Four facility in Atlanta last week. If you guys aren't familiar with it, he built this and started construction on it really the summer that the Nuggets signed him. So going back a couple years now, and Denver has had practices there when they've gone to Atlanta for road games, and really throughout the year, it's a warehouse with three full length courts, rehab stuff, hot tub, cold tub. He's got offices there, a weight room, really the works. But throughout the year, when the Nuggets aren't there, when NBA teams aren't there, it's pretty much a court where a lot of kids play. He's got leagues that are run there. NBA players, international players, high school, college guys work out there year round. So it's really just a basketball warehouse that he's constructed here and is central to Atlanta. But For the last three summers now, the Nuggets have gone down there for a week and had a voluntary training camp, voluntary mini camp. A lot of Denver's coaching staff goes down there, and a lot of players do too. This year was a little different because Denver didn't have the numbers down there that they normally do. I remember last summer, pretty much the entire team was down there, but with FIBA going on this summer, obviously. Mason Plumlee, Nikola Jokic, Wancho, they're not going to be there. They've got international team obligations. There's also a lot of different stuff going on when it comes to other Nuggets players. Gary Harris is in China right now with the NBA. Will Barton had his own elite camp in Baltimore that he does every year this week. The Rookie Symposium, the Rookie Transition Program, I don't know what the official title is, that was in New York, This week as well, or last week now. So, Bull Bull wasn't there. I think Monte Morris was also helping out at that, too. So, Denver didn't quite have the numbers, but they still had a a nice showing. A couple of the newcomers were there. Tyler Cook, who signed a two way deal with the Nuggets last week. And if you want to learn more about Tyler Cook, I spoke to him for an article that's on bsndenver.com right now. I think he's a guy who Nuggets fans are just going to love. Just a winning player who hates to lose more than he likes to win. That's what I got away from that discussion with him. But make sure to check that out. So he was there. Jeremy Grant was there as well. Jamal Murray stopped in. Millsap was obviously there. Malik Beasley, Torrey Craig were there as well. So a nice showing, not the full squad or the near full squad that Denver's had in the past. But I think it's a really positive sign that Denver is still doing this for a third year straight. I think it obviously builds chemistry builds camaraderie because these guys are hanging out on the court as well. And Jeremy Grant, Tyler Cook, learning to play with the rest of these Nuggets teammates on the court, but off the court, they're bonding too. So I think it's a really important week and it's just a piece of the culture and the camaraderie and the continuity that's been established in Denver. And it's something that kind of keeps that train moving. All right. Final question that I'm going to get to on today's show. I got a lot more questions lined up for Tuesday's show as well. So thanks for submitting them, guys. If you still have more after this episode, go to bsnever.com, Leave a question there if you're a subscriber. I will answer that before the first break on Tuesday's show. But this one comes from Josh on Twitter. He goes, I've heard you mention many times that you feel Denver is very high on Beasley. If this is the case, when they want to trade one of their wings to give him a consistent role? If Murray and Morris play any minutes together, you have six guys playing at the two and the three, not including Wancho. So yeah, the Beasley kind of situation, it's been something I've touched on a lot this summer. I'm very high on Beasley. I believe the Nuggets are high on him as well. I think he's just got a sky-high ceiling that he's really only beginning to kind of fill. And I think we saw him start to really look like the player he can be last season in the first year where he had a consistent role. Last year was the first year where he had a consistent role. His first couple years in the league, he played spot minutes. Sometimes he was in the lineup. Sometimes he wasn't in the lineup. But last year, 23 minutes a game for Beasley. Played in 81 games. Started 18 of them, but averaged 11.3 points. 47% from the field. Really great efficiency there. 40% from three. Had the third highest effective field goal percentage in the league out of guards. Also averaged two and a half rebounds, 1.2 assists per game. And I believe next year he's going to demand more minutes. Probably 24 or 25 a game. And that could mean, like Josh alluded to, that we don't get as many minutes of Murray and Morris alongside one another. Although I could see a scenario playing out like the one that did over the first half of last season when Denver had arguably, in what I thought was the best bench in the league, with Morris and Murray playing alongside each other and Beasley at the three. Yes, you've got Torrey Craig there. You've got Wancho, who I think is on the outside looking into the rotation right now. But that could be a possibility that Denver goes to next year as well because they had so much success with it last season with that second unit. But I think Beasley will demand a lot of minutes. And from what I've heard, the Nuggets will have an open competition at small forward at training camp and into the preseason next year. And Malik Beasley will be a part of that competition. So I think there's a scenario out there where Denver gives him the chance to earn that starting spot. If I'm assessing the field a little bit, I'd still say... Like I've said before on the show, Will Barton is probably the leader in the clubhouse. But after that, I think it's pretty wide open. Torrey Craig, Malik Beasley. I just talked about Michael Porter Jr., but the Nuggets will surely see what he can do. So I think Denver will give him a chance to earn that spot, and that could definitely create more minutes for him as well. But in terms of the question that Josh asked there, and just if Denver would consider trading one of their wings to really open more minutes for him, I just don't see that happening because I think Denver really values their depth. They really do. They view it as a good problem to have. And I think Beasley, in the role he had last year, 23, 24, 25 minutes a game, he was amazing in that role last year. And I think the Nuggets believe that's a good role for him next year. You know, personally, I would be in favor of giving him more minutes for sure. But I think Denver is happy with him in that kind of role with those kind of minutes. And I believe they're under the assumption that they can have him play a similar role with maybe a couple more minutes sprinkled in night to night and still keep the same guys in their rotation that they had last year. Still keep the Tory Craig, still keep their Will Bartons because I think I explained this on a show a couple of weeks ago, but all of their different options at small forward, they certainly bring a lot of different things to the table, right? Tory Craig, he's your defensive guy. Will Barton He's your offensive guy. He's your creator. He can do stuff with his dribble, creating for himself, creating for others out of the pick and roll, playing off of Nikola Jokic. He can do all of those things at a level that Beasley and Torrey Craig really can't yet. Maybe they can get there one day, specifically Beasley, but not yet. But then you've got Beasley, who's got the best jumper out of those three, best athlete, the highest ceiling in my mind out of those three by far, So, they all bring something different to the table, and I think the Nuggets like that about all three options. So, I think the Nuggets like their depth. I think if they were to trade somebody, they'd lose an important kind of ingredient to that second unit or starting lineup. They lose a lot without Will Barton's playmaking, they lose a lot without Torrey Craig's defense. They'd also lose a lot without Beasley's shooting and just his athleticism and his play in transition and his potential, too. So that's why I think Denver would prefer to hang on to all those guys heading into the season. Thanks for the questions, guys. I really appreciate it. I want to remind you, if you do have more questions for the show, the best way to get them in is by leaving them on the comment section on bsndenver.com, where this podcast will live after it goes up Monday afternoon. That comment section only open to BSN Denver subscribers. If you're not subscribed, hit me on my email, wind bsndenver.com or on Twitter, at Harrison wind. Thanks for listening, guys. I'll be back with another episode on Tuesday. Talk to them. Green Mountain Dental Group is a family-owned business that has been a staple in Lakewood for over 40 years. Whether it's cosmetic, oral surgery, or preventative dentistry, at Green Mountain Dental Group, you will find nothing but the best. For all new patients, Green Mountain Dental Group offers free teeth whitening trays when you schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam. Just mention BSN Denver.